Hi, it's John here. You may feel like 2023 is about to be a really complex year. No one seems to have a clear handle on inflation or the war in Ukraine or whether Donald Trump is going to make a comeback. And then there's climate change, demographic cliffs and COVID variants. Kind of makes my head hurt. I didn't even bother with New Year's predictions this year as I just couldn't think through the complexities that we seem to be drowning in. I suspect complexity is a word you'll hear a lot in 2023, but don't let it intimidate you. Even the world's best computers are having trouble figuring out those complex problems. Winning Jeopardy may be easy. You just need to know every bit of information ever created, which for a good supercomputer is like a chip shot. But predicting the future requires a whole different level of thinking and computing. One could say it's a quantum difference. That's another word you may hear a lot this year. Quantum. Hi, my name is Stephanie Simmons, and I'm the founder and chief quantum officer of Photonic Inc., as well as the advisory council co-chair of the newly announced National Quantum Strategy for Canada. Quantum is a coming technological tidal wave, and we already have specific concrete examples of how it's going to change the way we communicate and compute. Ultimately, information, the bits we use, are physical objects that are manipulated according to physical laws. The information possessed by quantum systems is simply exponentially larger in scale than the non-quantum bits we use today. Once we harness fault-tolerant quantum technologies, which is to say trustworthy quantum technologies, we will be able to do certain things that are otherwise physically impossible to accomplish by any other means. India, Israel, Japan, Australia, they all have quantum strategies. And here in Canada, the federal government is trying to help up our quantum game. It recently announced a national quantum strategy with $360 million behind it. So what is this quantum thing? And can it live up to the hype in time to address the world's most pressing issues, whether it's climate change or international conflict or cybersecurity? This is Disruptors, an RBC podcast. I'm John Stackhouse. Today, I'm excited to speak with an innovator on the front lines of the quantum computing revolution. Christian Weedbrook is the CEO of Toronto-based Xanadu Quantum Technologies. Just last year, Xanadu became one of the first companies in the world to successfully demonstrate quantum computation advantage. We're going to hear a lot more about that in a minute. Christian, welcome to Disruptors. Thank you, John. It's nice to be here. Before we get into some of the heavy stuff on quantum, uh, I'd love to know a bit more about your own background and journey, Christian, and also the origins of Xanadu. But maybe we can start with the name of the company. Uh, what inspired it? It actually comes from the song Xanadu by Olivia Newton-John and written by uh, ELO. Actually, one of the funny sort of side notes of that is the actual movie itself was a bit of a box office bomb. And we've raised probably 10 times the amount of money that made at the box office. Well, it's a great tribute to the late Olivia Newton-John, fellow Australian. Tell us how you came from Australia to Canada and how the company got going. Like a lot of people at Xanadu and other quantum companies, I came from academia. So from Australia, I I did undergrad in University of Queensland uh, in Brisbane. And uh, I did a master's at uh, in Nash- ANU, Australian National University in Canberra. 
and then started and finished my PhD back at University of Queensland as well. There I was working on quantum computing and quantum security as it relates to photonics or light, which is what Xanadu, it's it's a medium that it stores and processes uh, information. After that, I was a postdoc at uh, MIT, continued in the same sort of research, and then found a job at uh, University of Toronto. As soon as I landed, I just thought this is a wonderful place to, to be and live and work and been here ever since and became a Canadian a couple of years ago as well. Before we get deeper into this, I want to pause you there and help a lot of our listeners catch up to you on quantum. So I'll ask the killer Jeopardy question. What is quantum? Basically, we have computers now. We have security solutions on the internet and so forth. They actually run according to the principles of classical physics or Newtonian physics. So another way of looking at it is non-quantum physics. And these are things that we're very used to in our real world. If we throw a throw a frisbee, for instance, you throw it, it doesn't do anything weird. You know, even if there's wind, it'll throw it off, but it doesn't suddenly go the opposite direction, for instance. Now, if you're able to zoom into any object and you see it's made of atoms and protons and electrons and so forth, well, if you threw a frisbee near an atom and you're part of the around the atom, it will have different laws of physics that operate. And these are called quantum physics. So quantum really means quantum physics or laws of physics at the atomic level. And so if you can actually harness these properties at the atomic level, or if you're looking at photons as we are, then you can actually generate some very weird things. And there's certain properties that we don't see in our classical world, like entanglement and superposition and interference and so forth, that actually operate. So your long story short, there's different properties of physics that happen on the atomic level that we can actually leverage to do some really cool things. And in computation, if we can leverage these quantum properties, we can see for certain problems a dramatic speed up in how long it takes to run a computation. Uh, And in security, we can actually create secure methods of transmitting information that are not possible using classical physics. So it's a a game changer. The, The catch here is that these physical properties of the quantum atomic level are very hard to to leverage. And the reason is, is our world interacts with this atomic world and you lose entanglement, you lose superposition and you lose interference and so forth. So they're very hard to extract. And that's why it's very difficult to build a quantum computer is these properties or these weird effects that we want to leverage. They're very ephemeral and they're very hard to actually lock down. Let's talk for a minute about your computer. Uh, it's called Borealis, which is a, and it's a photonic quantum computer. Last year, it reached what's called computational advantage, which meant it solved a complex mathematical operation in a fraction of a second. Um, I believe it's something that would take the world's most powerful supercomputer more than 9,000 years, which is almost unfathomable. Tell us a bit more about Borealis. Yeah, it was a remarkable achievement. As you mentioned, it was a demonstration of quantum computational advantage or quantum supremacy. Sometimes they're, they're used interchangeably. And you choose a very well-defined task that you sort of pit a classical computer, and not even just desktop computers, but supercomputers, and pit them up against a quantum computer, ours is called Borealis, and press go. And you see how fast each of them solves. And like you said, uh, under a second for our Borealis machine, but it would have taken 9,000 years or more for a classical computer. 
Um, this demonstration was the first time ever by a startup and first time in Canada. So that's why the team is very proud about it. It's a great achievement for Canada and also quantum computing companies in Canada. It took about two years to build the hardware and the hardware team started essentially when COVID started. So there's all, all that sort of difficulty on top of it, which is a testament to a very small team as well that managed to, to build this. The very first demonstration was by Google, who uses superconducting qubits. And think of that as electrons, so a quantum version of electronics, whereas ours is quantum photonics. They did a wonderful job. It was the first time that was demonstrated. For us, we were able to do it light-based approach. First time that was available on the cloud as well. And so that's a key thing. This decade perhaps will be characterized by having these very challenging computers to build accessible over the cloud. So yeah, it's, it's a, it was a crazy achievement. It was published and verified and sort of peer reviewed in, in nature as well. Um, so the community really is excited about uh, the achievement by the Xanadu team. When I first got to see Borealis, you took me on a tour last year and there was great excitement at the time because you were very close to that computational advantage. One of the things that struck me was the size of the computer. I mean, much bigger than anything I have access to, but relatively small given the enormous power of it. What all goes into the housing of these extraordinary machines that may change everything around us? Yeah, actually, uh, you mentioned our building. So we're on the 29th floor, as, as you know, John. You know, we were concerned uh, before we moved in is every building swings uh, a little bit. And would that affect our measurements? Would it affect our apparatus? And uh, because most of the time you see photonic uh, computers or, or quantum optics, as we call them, experiments, they're often in the bottom of a of a university building in the basement because you need to keep everything, all the light closed off and so forth. So we were unsure about building one of these devices, but in the end, thankfully, uh, none of the issues that we were concerned about actually played a role, which is great. And I think that speaks to the robustness of our photonic devices and chips as well. And one of the key things, you know, I mentioned this device has 216 qubits. When you can start solving important customer problems, it's around a million qubits, physical qubits. Now, it could be plus or minus, but that's a, a good way to sort of think, think about it. You know, where, where, what is the magnitude away? But the key thing is some of the breakthroughs in Borealis are actually needed. And one of them is you need some sort of buffer or transmitting light through fiber optics. And when you look at a traditional data center, a data center has you know, a certain amount of square footage and you'd have all these server racks within it, you know, one after the other. And they're all talking to each other using light as well, but they're computing using electronics. So the way to scale up, and it's very reminiscent of the things we achieved in Borealis, is you're going to have many of these modules, very much say multiple versions of Borealis, roughly speaking, but they'll all be talking to each other using light or photons. Now, our thesis and, and why we believe uh, perhaps we have one of the edges when it comes to scaling up is the ability to actually network our devices because they're already photonic based. So what better way to sort of scale up if you have to use photonics, meaning that's how you connect them using the fiber optics, than already a computer that's computing using light based approach. This is a really exciting global race. Uh, the Chinese are very advanced in quantum computing. Uh, Google has been making great strides. Where does Xanadu stand up in the, uh, in the global rankings? You know, it depends on how you define this. Um, if, you, if you look at uh, quantum supremacy or quantum computational advantage, we do have the most powerful quantum computer. Again, there's, there's a lot of caveats there, which we try to be clear about. And, you know, one of them is for, for a specific type of problem. No customer use cases yet, but where we're only one of three demonstrations of quantum supremacy. The first was by Google, second by a great team in China, 
and also now a third time by Xanadu, which is the first time it's available on the cloud for anyone with internet connection. So Xanadu is, in terms of that aspect, is, is one of the leaders in the world. Um, in terms of photonics, definitely one of the leaders as well. You know, the hope is with photonics is what we're leveraging now is we didn't have to invent the laser. We didn't have to invent fiber optics. So we can order them from companies. And, you know, as you mentioned, I originally came from Australia and what better country to leverage the photonics than, than Canadians history in photonic uh, industry, Nortel and others as well. So we're able to leverage that, which is a great thing. And, you know, speaking to your point about where Canada can succeed, it's also in this area as well. So I would say in those points, uh, we're definitely hitting above our body weight and, and also one of the leaders as well. Christian, I appreciate uh, applications may also be a few years away or, or, or longer, but I wonder if you can give our listeners a sense of where you see quantum making significant differences in the economy and in society over the next number of years. Where do you think the applications will first be most impactful? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And, and I would say applications are still a few years off. We're more confident that once us or anyone else can reach a million qubits, that's where you can start solving important customer problems. The big picture is in terms of the buckets or the main industries, the common ones that you would hear about where a quantum computer can really outperform and really change the world in would be uh, pharmaceuticals. So there, for instance, would be drug discovery. Another one would be finance. Uh, Common examples there would be portfolio optimization. We hear about uh, that. Uh, another big one, which is where Xanadu is really playing, is in material design and specifically next generation battery development. And another one that you often hear about is logistics. So let's take Amazon, for instance. They want to find an optimal path so they can save a lot of money and fuel and drive us time to make sure they're doing the shortest path for a delivery. So these are the common ones. They're all complex systems, meaning if you add extra extra elements to it, it doesn't scale very well. So I think in most industries, uh, focus is key. So each of these uh, buckets or verticals, it, it could take a lifetime, each of them. So we've just focused on material design, uh, science and you know quantum chemistry, but more specifically, next generation battery development. In our last round, we actually got an investment in our Series C from Volkswagen. And we're actually been working with Volkswagen on projects the last year or two, and we'll continue to do so as well. And we try to be very optimistic and say, look, this is the potential, but be realistic as well. Find that middle ground. And for us, it's it's a case of investigating if you had a million qubits and, and more for quantum computer, where would Volkswagen and other car companies use them to create a new battery that would be 10 times faster to charge, uh, 10 times longer distance on a single charge, you know, safer all the usual metrics that traditional companies are looking at in, in the batteries, us doing that as well. If you ran like the Borealis one, 9,000 years, you know, Volkswagen and other companies are not going to want to run a machine for 9,000 years. So maybe even a year is a good metric, you know? So there's a lot of different ways that it can help. But I would say these are the, the common industries uh, that people talk about. It seems and this will be overly simplistic, but that a lot of quantum computing opportunities are addressing the future unknowns versus current computational challenges, which tend to be focused on current knowns and unknowns. So it's going into the vagaries of the future. There's, there's two things that I think about when you're thinking about the, the hopefulness of a technology. One is that, as mentioned, we've been building computers, but not exploiting the full laws of the universe of nature. So we've, we've done enormous, historically, companies have done phenomenal work since the 50s and beyond in, in, in computer chips and architectures and 
up until the internet, PC and mobile phones today. But the laws they've been using in order to create these things are not the most general sort of laws. So why I'm encouraged is that imagine if we can now use the most general laws of physics that we know about, quantum physics. Imagine if we can leverage everything of that, that space. The hope is, is that the, the ability of problems we can solve also is proportional to that. The other thing, if we look back at history, I'm always like reading about the mid-70s and late 70s and the PC revolution with the Apple Apple One and Apple II and so forth. You would see a lot of the early advertisements were really for hobbyists, for the personal computer. So I remember some of the early ads in the mid-70s were, were about advertising to housewives saying, you can use your computer to look at a menu. And that was really the selling point, you know, apart from hobbyists and just having fun on these things and programming for you know, abstract things. And it wasn't until maybe 79 or so that they started coming up with business applications, the spreadsheet for, for businesses, Word documents. And then we went into the 80s and more things, games and so forth came more popular as well as a suite of applications. But those things, you know, maybe a few people could have imagined that and definitely science fiction writers have thought about all the possibilities going back 100 years and so forth, what the future may look like. But the actual applications were very much unknown and it was still selling. But look where we are today. Imagine if we, you know, said we can't think of any other applications. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, Christian Weedbrook, the CEO of Xanadu, will talk about where Canada falls in the race for quantum computing edge and who we're racing against. You're listening to Disruptors, an RBC podcast. I'm Trin Teresa Doe. I'd like to share with you our latest signature report from RBC Economics and Thought Leadership called The Next Green Revolution, How Canada Can Produce More Food and Fewer Emissions. Global food demand is set to soar as the population rises to 9.7 billion people in 2050. Meanwhile, climate change is slowing the agricultural productivity of many major producers, and geopolitical upheaval from Russia's invasion of Ukraine has destabilized the world's food systems. Rarely has feeding the world presented such a daunting challenge. So how can Canada lead the worldwide effort to confront it? To find out, visit rbc.com slash nextgreenrevolution. Welcome back. Today, I'm speaking with Christian Weedbrook, the CEO of Xanadu, about Canada's place and potential in the development of quantum computing. Christian, there used to be a bit of quantum hype, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, that suggested that the first team to achieve quantum supremacy would have a singular victory, that only one supreme quantum computer would uh, prevail. Has your understanding of quantum supremacy evolved over the last few years? Yeah, it's John. That's a good point. I, I do believe it depends on who you're talking to in terms of the hype. I, I would say us and Google and a few others have always known that quantum supremacy is just a stepping stone, an initial achievement that is a very difficult achievement, but needs to be ticked off uh, and then you know, continued onwards to error correction and fault tolerance. The reason I, I say that, and I think Google has mentioned this too when their great experiment came out, is there were a lot of naysayers that said even a quantum supremacy demonstration is not possible. Meaning, put aside applications for customers, even if you'd chosen an esoteric math problem, you still would not be able to beat it using a quantum computer. So I think those things were important. 
But also in our case too, and maybe with others, a lot of the, the technical demonstrations for Borealis are actually needed for error correction and fault tolerance anyway. So it's, it's a rite of passage that I think was an important one for us uh, as well. I think most people would have looked at it as, a, as a, you know, something to pass through rather than a be-all and end-all uh, achievement. Now, though, getting back to your thought of one winner to rule them all, even if you know, a few companies came out tomorrow with a million qubits, uh, which is n- not really possible or likely, it's still a few years away, but let's say that happened, there's still enough market and problems to go around that it would be really hard to actually, one company, even if it's a Google or IBM, to dominate every single vertical. For us, if you take a specific example, we've chosen next generation battery development to exclusion of everyone else. And that particular industry, it has a different supply chain, has a different customer base, it has different sales and marketing. Uh, For us, we have to hire people that have background in in quantum chemistry and batteries. So long story short, I think there's more than enough for for many winners. And, you know, another way to perhaps look at it, maybe Xanadu dominates in Canada or North America, and there's another company that dominates in Europe as well. So uh, a lot of different possibilities, but we all need to get to a million qubits first. Well, let's turn to that point about national strategies. As I mentioned earlier, the federal government has announced $360 million to create a national quantum strategy. Why does Canada need this? I would say the first thing that comes to mind is building a quantum computer from the hardware point of view, particularly, is extremely expensive. It's going to take a lot of money. And that money specifically was really going through the universities and and also that is a problem that of the of the funnel of talent coming through and training them. Uh, the universities in Canada have been training these quantum physicists and quantum computing and so forth for the last two decades or more. And so having that pipeline come through that companies in Canada like Xanadu and others can actually leverage is important. So money needs to be put there. Think of previous industries like the you know chip market or uh, telecommunication market. These are very big markets that takes billions and billions of dollars already. The other thing, if you look at competition, whether it's friendly or not, the U.S. has put 10 times that amount of money roughly. So, uh, you know, a billion or two into the same sort of strategies. And so if we want to be competitive, it's key for us to be able to have enough money to attract the talent as well, to stop them from going to other places. China, I believe, has put in maybe three to five billion as well, something in a couple of billion or more. And, and Europe has done a lot as well. We've seen them being uh, actively engaged. And thankfully, uh, as, you, as you know, John, a week ago, the prime minister and the minister de Champagne visited us, uh, which is great. And that was to announce uh, CIF, so Strategic Innovation Fund. It's a reimbursement program of up to $40 million. And this shows you the amount of money that actually needs to go in and also the amount of jobs that it will create and also the quantum Canadian ecosystem in general will, will create as well. Yeah, I mean, $360 million is a lot of money. I believe Canada is spending roughly on par with Israel and Russia, which are serious players in this. But India, I think, has committed a billion dollars to to quantum. The EU, now these are announcements, but it's $7 billion. And China, again, an announcement, $15 billion. Yeah. And, and maybe another point, John, is Canada, uh, Singapore, and Australia, for the last two, two and a half decades, their governments have put in so much money in terms of the academic and university side where most of us have come from. And so it would be a shame for these countries and obviously Canada to not really be able to 
leverage as much as the talent pool. And Xanadu has, I think, 52% of the employees are from overseas and they want to so far stay here. Is there a unique advantage that Canada has in that uh, in that global competition? I think so. I mean, if you look at University of Toronto, you look at uh, Institute of Quantum Computing and University of Waterloo and other places in Vancouver and Montreal and so forth, we have the talent base here. And that that is really key. Some of the benefits for, for companies like the Shred program, we've been leveraging that from day one, which is great. It's a rebate on through taxation and it's just helped startups. It's helped us to create 170 jobs now. The other big one is uh, from our photonic-based approach too. There are a lot of photonic engineers from Nortel and, and the history of telco companies in Canada. They've had a great history there and we're hoping we can also leverage that as well. You know, if anyone's listening that knows anyone that has that background, we are looking always for people that have the, uh, I would say non-quantum side, but they may have a, you know, optical engineering or electrical engineering. I, I, I love that spirit. Entrepreneurs are always recruiting. You give a very hopeful picture for quantum. Some prefer to cast it as a uh, kind of a black and white narrative and that if darker forces achieve true quantum supremacy or get to that million qubits before others, they could do incredibly malicious things with that technology. Do we need to be fearful of where quantum could go as well as hopeful? Yeah, I believe most technologies have, as you mentioned, a dark and light side. Most have that dual aspect of it. I would say it's important to recognize that. That's the first step. So for instance, internet security. Again, that's still still far away. That's probably the very least by the end of this decade. There's certain companies out there, they're not quantum in terms of their technology, but they're, they're traditional codes that can shore up the internet security again, uh, you know, replace our existing codes. So there's companies already working on one of the most drastic, nefarious aspects of quantum computing, which is internet security. So those things are well underway. And NIST in the US is already working up a group of standards that people can sort of say, okay, well, I can choose one of these, you know, two, three, four standards, implement them in my security device and so forth. So I think we're in a good position at the moment because people are aware about these things and, and are already working on solutions. Let's end with a question of hope. When you hit that million qubit mark, what will be your greatest hope for where it goes from there? This sounds maybe a trite in some sense because it's kind of obvious, but I hope if we hit a million, we've got over a thousand people we've given jobs to. You know, it's kind of implied in all these things, but it's amazing that we've already given 170 people jobs that can, you know, feed their family and provide shelter and all the basic necessities. Beyond that, it would be great if Canada can actually have a dominant company again in sort of hard tech. So we, we did have BlackBerry, there's Nortel. We, we would like to have something of that scale one day with a different ending or maybe an ending that has prolonged many, many decades. We have a goal of building a 50-year company. So uh, so that will be great, whether you you work in Xanadu or we're, we're helping our customers. It's providing usefulness. You know, what are we actually doing for the world that someone is willing to hand over a dollar and receive a product or service from that? So very simple goals, but these things actually have a way of you know, leading to the biggest accomplishments. Those would be great, uh, pardon the expression, quantum leaps. Exactly. <laughs> Christian, thank you so much for being a part of Disruptors. Thank you, John. I appreciate your time. Thank you. That was Christian Weedbrook, CEO of Xanadu. You know, it's fascinating to hear about a technology with such massive potential. And I think I know a fair bit more about quantum than before we started this episode, but I sure wouldn't pick it if I ever got on Jeopardy. What I do know is Canada is globally competitive in this frontier technology. 
And if we get it right, we can help disrupt positively all sorts of sectors and solve all sorts of challenges out there, whether it's developing precision medicine or being on the right side of cybersecurity. The quantum race is just getting going, and it's going to be incredible to see where innovators like Christian and Xanadu take us in the years ahead. I'm John Stackhouse, and this is Disruptors, an RBC podcast. Talk to you soon. Disruptors, an RBC podcast, is created by the RBC Thought Leadership Group and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and recorded by JAR Audio. For more Disruptors content, like or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit rbc.com disruptors.